We are uh, in a series, a five-message series called Parables. It was a tool that Jesus used to be able to uh, enlighten the hearers. His most repeated phrase in all of the New Testament is, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so we want to pray that prayer for us this morning as we open up with number two. It's called the Parable of the Growing Seed. The Parable of the Growing Seed. My text is found in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, 4 verses 26 through 29. Scripture says, Jesus also said the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scattered seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Somebody say amen. I use a tool called One Thing, which is a summary of what I'm going to be saying, and uh, we go back to it and repeat it sort of like a chorus. And that's for the purpose of if you don't get anything else out of this message today, you get this, and it's a take-home with you. Uh, Find a screen, find a wall, and read with me, please. The kingdom of God is never static, but dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. One more time, come on. The kingdom of God is never static, but dynamic. The seed will affect everything. That's much better. Come on, with all you got. The kingdom of God is never static, but dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. What do you mean static? You think of opening the dryer and the socks are stuck, and when you pull them apart, you feel that static electricity and a little little shock. And actually, that's a pretty good description of the word because when something is static, it's not moving. It's clinging. The kingdom of God is not unchanging is what I'm trying to say, but it's dynamic. It's forever growing and expanding. And the, the reason behind that is because God plants a seed that is alive in the earth. He plants a seed that is alive in you, in your earth, as an earthen vessel. We pray that in the Lord's Prayer. Come, kingdom of God, be done, will of God, in earth. Most folk don't pray it as the King James has written. It doesn't say on earth. It says in earth, in earth as it is in heaven. And so he does that on a microcosmic level in your earth, in your life. Come, kingdom of God, in this earth as it is in heaven. And so that's the mission of the church is to bring heaven to earth. It's not to get as many souls into heaven as we can, but it's to bring heaven down to the souls of everybody on the planet. It's to take that force, it's to take that power, that presence of God that heaven brings and to take it right up to the gates of hell and ram those gates in and rescue the perishing, deliver them from a hellish life of repeated addictive behaviors and various kinds of things that trap us. So this morning, the kingdom of God is never static, but it's dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. Pray with me, if you would, please. Father, we bow our hearts before you today, and we ask you in the amazing, powerful name of Jesus that you would Be in the words that we speak. We've already sensed your presence in the songs that we've sung, in the music, in the worship. Thank you today that you do what we've sung. You you come to the inside of us and you do an inside job. This is not just a superficial outside thing, Lord, where we look good and fake it. But God, thank you that you do a work in us that you begin to change us, 
at the very core as human beings. You, you, you tackle heart issues and heart matters. And God, we thank you for that. Thank you for the seed of the Word. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're careful to give you praise today. I acknowledge that I need you more than I've ever needed you before. I know that apart from you I can do nothing, but I'm also thankful that I know that I'm no longer apart from you. That through Christ I can do all things who strengthens me. And Lord, we pray that today over every hearer, that you would be the ear and the heart of every person, that you would give us eyes to see, ears to understand and comprehend the mysteries of the kingdom of God in our lives. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everybody said, amen. Parable. What is a parable? Let's, let's remember for just a moment this morning, Jesus used this tool on a regular basis when speaking especially to the crowds. He revealed in Mark 4 and, and Matthew 13 why he did that. He made it very plain to his disciples, those that were walking with him on a different covenantal level of commitment. But to the crowds, he sort of veiled truth with a natural story that has a spiritual lesson. That's the definition of a parable. A parable is a natural story with a spiritual truth or a spiritual lesson. The Greek word is parabole. We get two we get the Greek prefix para, which means alongside. The Holy Spirit is called the parakletos, the, the one who, the helper who comes alongside us. Think about this. A parachurch ministry is a ministry that works alongside the local church. Okay? Parachurch. Para means alongside. Bole in the Greek is comes from the root, comes from the idea of a ball. Okay? But this is the verb form, so it literally means to hurl. So a, par a parabole or a parable is to hurl alongside. So Jesus casts a short story, which is a natural story, but with a spiritual lesson. A natural story with a spiritual truth. Okay? And so I want to jump in very quickly. I've got a few principles that I have extrapolated from this passage of Scripture today. And it begins with, Let's go back and actually put it back up again, if you would. I want you to see this in Mark chapter 4, verse 26. The scripture says this. It says, the kingdom of God what? Everybody say, is. So we recognize that every parable, by the way, the theme of all of the parables that Jesus spoke were all about the kingdom of God or issues related to the kingdom of God. When we speak of the kingdom of God in this short series, and this is just a little tip of the iceberg, because it, it literally could probably, we could take a whole year on it and just begin to open it up. But the kingdom of God is not an eschatological concept. It is, but that's not really the way I'm bringing it in this message or this series. I'm not coming with a particular millennial viewpoint, premillennial, amillennial, postmillennial, any of those things that have to do with when the second coming takes place in relation to a literal or a not literal kingdom. All those are different viewpoints that different people who love the Lord as much as we do disagree on. We've learned that there's a principle at victory, that there, there's a small set of things that we don't take time to argue over. They're the 12 things in the Apostles' Creed. I, I won't argue with you about the, the efficiency or the efficacy of the blood of Christ. I won't argue with you about a virgin birth. Uh, God's son was born of a virgin. I don't have time. If you don't believe that, that's fine. You know something? It's amazing how folk can claim to be a Christian and yet don't even believe half of what the book says. Uh, you know, you, you can't be a Kiwanis Club member uh, if you don't agree to what they tell you. That's what they stand for. 
And it's amazing sometimes the church that just says, okay, that's fine. Well, you know what? We will love you anyway, but don't claim to be something that's clearly completely resistant to what the Bible says concerning what it means to be a Christ follower. Don't shout me down, but somebody brave, say amen. Okay, so there's a small subset of things that we won't take time to argue with, but there's a whole myriad, a whole plethora, a host of things that there is room for different viewpoints and disagreement on. There can be a variation, and you know what? It's not a matter of one has to be right or wrong, but it's not a either or, but it's a both and supposition, okay? Or proposition. It's a both and. Both of them can be correct in, in different times and different places. But this, this issue of the kingdom of God, let me back up and say this, in the essentials, unity. In the non-essentials, liberty. How you believe about the rapture. Is it pre-trib, post-trib, no-trib? How you believe about the kingdom. Is it literal 1,000 years? Is it post-millennial in the sense of eons of time? Or is it amillennial? And it's all spiritual and there is not a literal kingdom. So none of that's what I'm talking about this morning. There is room for varying viewpoints and disagreement, but I'm talking about the general overarching idea that the whole of Scripture gives us, that God's rule, God's reign, particularly in the lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus is not just our high priest who offers a sacrifice and literally becomes the sacrifice for us, but he's also king of kings and lord of lords. Somebody say amen. So when we talk about the kingdom of God, we're talking about its present reality. Point number one, the kingdom of God is. Jesus never said one of these days it will be like or it was like. He always speaks in the present tense. Because God who dwells in the eternal now, your past, your present, and your future all dwell inside God who literally lives outside of time. He made time. But the one who made past, present, and future in terms of incremental measurements of time, he is the eternal now. God lives in the eternal nowness. He's always right now. He always is the I am that I am. He was the I am in Moses' day. He was the I am, and Jesus came declaring that. I am the bread of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the door of the sheep. On and on and on, declaring that he was the I am walking around in flesh. But guess what? 2050, when we get to that point, God will be in the now. As a matter of fact, he's already in the now at that point right now. Now that'll kind of, you know, warp your head and your thinking a little bit. But God's already dwelling. God's already in the future. He's already there. You're not hoping he'll catch up with you and show up. He's already there. He's already there preparing the way for you. God's already into 2022, opening doors of opportunity for you that you haven't even yet conceived or dreamed of. Kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. So we're talking about the present reality of the kingdom of God. It's never static, but it's dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. Point number two, the seed is the Word of God. The big parable previous to this one, and I didn't start with it because it was just a few weeks ago that I actually preached the parable of the soils. Mark 4, Matthew 13, Jesus talks about the farmer going out and scattering seeds. Some landed on hard paths, some landed on rocky soil, some landed on thorny ground, some on good soil that produced 30, 60, and 100 fold. Sometimes we always interpret that to say those are different kinds of people because different people respond differently to the seed of the Word of God, some producing great crops in terms of the fruit of the Spirit, 
Others, it gets choked out because of the cares of the life, of this life, the riches, the, 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 the cares of this bios, this, this biological life that we live in. Sometimes it, they, they grow up quickly and they have an immediate kind of response, but then they, they, they falter and they wither at the sun, at tribulation, because there's a rock, there's a bed of rock that is preventing them from getting any roots that grow down deep. Now, rather than saying, well, that person is rocky soil and that person is, well, you know, I'm good soil, that's for sure, and that person is thorny ground, I think that we ought to go a little bit deeper and kind of rip a couple of layers off the onion and let's get honest. If we're really telling the truth, every one of those soil types, every one of those parts of the ground exists in each of us individually. There's some good soil area in my life that the fruit of the kingdom is growing. There are also some thorny areas where the cares of this world and, uh, and, and the pursuit of riches and the lust for other things can sometimes choke out the word in a certain area of my life. And there are also, there's some hard paths where I've experienced rejection and hurt and, and I've been betrayed and I have insecurities and my, my heart has been calloused in that area and that part of the ground of my life. And it's a little resistant to receiving the word of the Lord, particularly maybe when it comes to the idea of just forgiving that person and letting them go. Oh, no, I want to I hold that in a hard place of resentment or bitterness. And when I do that, I'm preventing the Word from being able to work and move in my own heart. How many of you see that every one of those kinds of soil are in all of our souls? Come on, somebody. Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. But the seed is the Word of God. and It has the ability to bring transformation in our lives. Point number two, the seed is the Word of God. 1 Peter 1.23, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. The same seed that Jesus was born from is the same Word of God, the seed of God that came into your heart when you were born again. Somebody say amen. So there's seed in you that has life in it. There's seed in you that literally cannot die. There's seed in you that cannot fail if you don't quit. Now you may miss it. You may sin. You may, you may get stuck. But as long as you don't quit, you hadn't failed yet. If you'll get up. Come on, a righteous man falls seven times, but he gets back up eight. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me? Kingdom of God is never static, but it's dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. Point number three, the seed has life in it. The scripture says, night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. The seed of God has life in it. It has the ability to, the power to produce. More accurately said, the power to reproduce. You, you look at a small acorn. I have two willow oak trees in my front yard. And because I have been blessed with a family of squirrels in the last few years, I have a man cave up in the, 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 the what is it called, the pitch of my roof line and directly above that ceiling is the roof and I can I in the morning will be up there sometimes with my coffee and I'm reading the Bible and I can hear a little pitter patter and I'm, I'm wishing I had a pellet gun or something oh pastor I can't believe you would say that well whatever you know but I'm telling you I know they're pretty but it's just a it's just a rat with a pretty tail is all it is glory to God the seed has life in it and those sweet little squirrels that just drive my 
my dog's crazy. And I have more flower beds that have been destroyed around the base of trees in my backyard because copper, copper is, copper is the commando squirrel patrol in my house. And he literally is this little 40-pound mutt of a dog with a little kind of a lab uh, pit mix. And he will take two steps and run up the tree. And I'm telling you, there are times I thought he was going to get up there and end on the, up on the branch. And I'm saying all the time, what you going to do if you catch that thing, Copper? He's always after those squirrels just and tearing up everything. I quit putting flowers in those beds around the base of those. There's a, there's a pin oak tree in my backyard that I've watched grow from a little sapling when Dawn and I first moved into that house on Geelan, my mother-in-law, Dodge, brought me this little, in a little black pot from a nursery somewhere, it was a little sprout of a little pin oak tree that she had gotten from her backyard and dug up and put it in there. And that tree right now at this point is probably between 40 and 50 feet tall and a huge just span, an arbor that's cast out over that corner of my backyard. I've watched that tree grow over 25 years of living in that house. And this is something that I want you to, to recognize, that in order to be substantial, it's going to take time to grow. Come on, somebody. It's going to take patience. Now, I want you to recognize that in that seed, in those acorns that those squirrels have hidden all over my yard, and every spring, I'll start to see little oak trees that are coming up all over the place because they've grabbed those acorns and they've gone and dug and hidden it. And you know what? If you leave that thing in that spot, it will penetrate that ground and come up out of the ground. And you'll see the beginning of a new oak tree. What started out is what looked like an ugly little brown rock completely transforms. What it started out as looks nothing like what it is now becoming. As a matter of fact, what it started as died in the ground and newness of life caused that thing to begin to emerge. And the whole point is, is that when I look at that little seed, that acorn, I can have just a little bit of faith and recognize that in potential there is a tree inside that acorn. Or if I have a little bit more faith, I can look at that acorn and realize there's not just a single tree in that acorn. There's a whole forest of oak trees in that acorn. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? If you have eyes of faith and recognize every seed on the planet that God gave Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and told them to tend the garden, set them down into a perfect environment, and he immediately said, every seed-bearing plant I have given to you. You need to stop waiting for God to give you an instant fix miracle and recognize the seeds of your success and the seeds of your blessing are sitting all around you and you're ignoring them. You need to plant some seed because the seed has life in it. And the seed, the primary seed in your life is the Word of God, the seed of a promise that God gives you that you confess it and stand upon the Word and you will begin to move things out of the way in the cosmos. That seed has the ability to move a mountain and to cast it into the sea. For six years I lived in North Carolina. I was under a ministry of was a mentor, Dr. Kelly Varner, a prolific writer, 50-plus books. central theme of his message, his preaching ministry, was the present reality of the kingdom of God. And I remember every holiday I would come back home and different times and maybe take a vacation and come home in the summer and be with my family. Then Dawn and I married, and then we would, we would come home and see her mom and her stepdad in Jonesboro, and we would stay with my mom and dad and see my brother Dewey. Then... We, we got, here comes Drew, and so we're coming home bringing our baby and all of the 
stuff that comes with a kid when they, when they you know, says, man, where does all this stuff come from? And so I remember every time I would always stop at this place in the Smoky Mountains on the edge of a winding interstate. It's 40 going through there. Upper end of the Blue Ridge, Smoky Mountains are beginning, and it's just a gorgeous overlook out there. And we would stop and just look and just enjoy the beauty of, of God's creation. And over the years as I travel, sometimes two or three times a year, I would always notice a crack in the side of the mountain. It had the tendency for rocks to drop, and so there was some, some fencing, some, some wire fencing, chain-link fencing that was around the bottom that would, as the rocks would come down, they would catch it so they wouldn't bounce out and then end up on a car on the interstate. And so we would pull off to the lookout point, and I would look over there, and there was a crack in the mountain, and I saw a tree that was growing from a sapling until the point that it literally got to become a pretty good-sized young tree. And it had grown in that crack, and where that tree was growing, it was splitting the crack open wider. Let me make this real plain. I remember coming home from school from Bragg Elementary in West Memphis and walking home to our house where we lived, and there was a place where uh, 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 some kind of a seed had got into the crack in the sidewalk and the seed grew into a little small tree, into a sapling, to the point that it literally buckled the concrete up and moved it out of the way. That seed that looks so frail, that looks so weak, has the ability to move a heavy piece of concrete. It can crack a rock open because the seed has life in it. Come on, somebody. Scripture says, So shall my word be that goes forth out of my mouth. It shall not return unto me void. It shall accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing whereunto I have sent it. God's word is the seed in your life, and when he speaks his word over your life, it has the ability to produce the desired result. It will be blessed and accomplish the end that he spoke, and he will bless it and prosper it in the process. So what God gives you is a seed. He's always going to multiply thousands of times over. Because when you plant one acorn, it will grow one tree that will produce over the life of that tree literally hundreds of thousands. I don't think it's an exaggeration to possibly say maybe a million acorns over 75 or 100 years that a huge oak tree would produce. So you've got to recognize that God gives you the seed. Sow the seed and then manage your seeds when they start coming back in. Come on, somebody. And there's a mystery to God's increase. The kingdom of God is never static, but it's dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. Look what it says. Night and day, verse 27, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and grows. How many of you know that the seed's going to do what it's called to do whether you worry about it or not? If you sit up, if you wake up and you count a herd of 10,000 sheep laying in the bed trying to count sheep to go back to sleep, you can worry about the seeds that you've got in the ground. And you know, nowhere does it say the farmer got out there the next day and went and said, well, I wonder if that seed's doing any growing. And then he dug the hole open to see if the seed... You can't do that. You've got to put the seed in the ground. Everybody say the right environment. Come on, say it. Say the right environment. You plant that seed. Some of you right now are just in a place where you feel like it's just dark and it's smelly. You, somebody's packed some manure down around you. You've got a whole lot of to deal with in your life. But I want to tell you, you haven't been buried, you've been planted. Look at somebody and say, you haven't been buried, you've been planted. Well, I got an amen corner over here. I got a couple of claps out of some folks. Are you all awake over here on this side? Look at your neighbor and say, you haven't been buried, you've been planted. And when God plants a seed, guess what? He's expecting a harvest, somebody. 
And I love this. It says there's a mystery to it. He says he doesn't even understand how it happens. He says, he says the seed sprouts and grows, but he does not understand how it happens. Verse 28, the earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. It's the King James says it this way. It says, first the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. That brings me right up to my point five. There are stages of development and maturity. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. This New Living Translation says it this way. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the heads of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. You know, the worst thing we can do is plant a seed and then look at somebody else's Instagram representation of their crop and compare and then get all uh, in condemnation thinking, God, I'm behind. What, what, what are you doing in my life? Why don't you show up in my life and open some doors of blessing and some opportunities for me the way you have that Jake leg over there? Worst thing you can do is get on there and compare because how many of you know, first of all, those are everybody's best moments up on Instagram. Very, nobody ever puts their worst moment up for everybody to see. Let's just tell the truth. Am, am I right or am I right? Come on, somebody. And so what I want you to see is the worst thing you can do is compare yourself to someone else who's planting the same seed. You're trying to raise some champions, and you're looking at somebody else over here and how their kids are. Or you're looking at somebody who's really got a couple of hellions, and you're going, Lord, thank God those are not my kids. Although there's been a couple of times in my life, I remember just thinking how sweet they were as children, and then they, when they became teenagers, I was really looking and studying demon possession. <laughs> I was just sure a, a time out in the corner wasn't going to do it. I was going to have to call a preacher friend and pray in the Holy Ghost and fast for about three days and cast a devil out of one of these kids. Come on. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Time or two, I, I never said the words, but there was a time I thought, that's not my kid. Don, what's going on here? That's Satan's spawn right there. I never said it, and it would never mark my child with words like that. But how many of you know that it, it, every one of us have thought it at some point or another? And so when, when you're going through situations like that, the worst thing you can do is compare yourself to somebody who happens to be in a highlight moment. And their highlight reels are playing on Instagram or whatever social media that you look to and somebody's giving you their best smile and their, 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 their plastic image. And so I want you to recognize this morning that there are stages of development and there are stages of maturity and sometimes it's messy. Paul, the, the Apostle John wrote to three different groups, little children, young men, fathers. The Apostle Peter says that as newborn babes were to desire the sincere milk of the word. Well, we grow up a little bit and we begin to eat the bread of God's word. But you know what? You really mature. The scripture says he will give meat in due season. And so there are stages of development. There are stages of maturity. God brought them out of Egypt through the wilderness into the land. Sometimes we have to get delivered from the Egypt of our struggle, the bondage that we're in, the habit that we're trying to break. But just because I got out of Egypt doesn't mean I fully inherited the kingdom in the sense of overcoming and having victory. God wants to take me through a school of the wilderness where I'm going to be tested a little bit where I experience the left foot of testing and the right foot of blessing and the left foot of testing and the right foot of blessing. And guess what? That's what it's called following Jesus. Testing, blessing, testing, blessing, testing, blessing. How many of you know if you're in a test right now, just hang on because a blessing's coming. And if you're blessed, don't get too high and mighty because a test is right around the corner. Do you see what I'm talking about this morning? 
Number six, the kingdom of God is never static but dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. Number six, nothing in the kingdom of God is instant. There are no instant grits in the kingdom. There's no warm it up in 60 seconds and you've got a five-course gourmet meal. Drew and Holly were home and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm batching it now. I'm a single guy. I'm a widower. And so I just said, okay, y'all are going to have to jump in and help me because I can't cook like Dawn did. But I'm, I've learned a whole lot in the last four, four years or so. And I, I, had a, I had an itch that I knew I had to scratch. I wanted some real mashed potatoes. You know, you, know, you guys realize that mashed potatoes are French cuisine. The whole idea of mashing potatoes, what makes them so wonderful and light and airy is they put a little bit of whipped cream in them. Whipping cream. I don't mean the squirt out kind of a can. I'm talking about the kind you pour out of a little small milk carton, a little heavy cream. Just a little bit of that in there, the right amount of sugar and salt. Peel those potatoes, glory to God. I, I, I probably spent an hour getting everything ready for just a moment. Oh. Boil those potatoes, get my mixer down, just moving that thing around, and they're starting to whip up right. And we add just a little bit of that whipping cream to it, a little bit of salt, a little bit of pepper, a whole stick of butter. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Mmm. I take one spoon and taste it. Oh, halashikalana sandai. Glory to God. Mmm. If you, if you don't like mashed potatoes, I'll cast the devil out of you after the service. I'm just kidding. But man, I'm telling you, we, of course, we had, we had ham and we had mashed potatoes and these green beans that somebody would, somebody would, have, would have said, man, he put his foot in them. I'm telling you, they were right because I've learned how to do that stuff. Now, you know what? Sometimes you can't cook like that all the time. Once in a while, I actually have a, a frozen meal. And I'll always look at the label and I pay attention to my macros. I'm going to get enough Am I going to get enough protein? How are the carbs? Really, my concern these days is not too much sodium. But you know, once in a while, I'll, I'll, I'll do a microwavable meal, and it's pretty nice. But man, I'm going to tell you. Somebody says, oh, I can't believe you in your, your fitness pursuits that you're eating a, a frozen meal. I said, well, yeah, let me tell you, a frozen meal that's healthy like that is better any day than, than doing a drive through McD, BLT, glory to God, hit, hit me a double on the fries and give me a giant Dr. Pepper. How many hear what I'm talking about? I do. Well, I just you know what? I, I'm, while I'm in, I'm, I'm running the tub full of hot water. I'm just going ahead and take a bath. Let me confess my sin. Last Sunday, I had a hanker, and I haven't had one in a long time. And I drove to Memphis, and I ordered me a double bacon cheeseburger at Five Guys Burgers there on Union. Mmm. And enough fries to fill up two bags, the seasoned fries. I sat there by myself and had my earbuds in, just daring anybody to come talk to me while I was enjoying my, just literally getting my face into that Five Guys burger with everything on it. Fried onions and mushrooms, glory to God. The kingdom of God had come into my life. How many you know what I'm talking about? I, I believe God's given us all this amazing stuff on this planet to, food and, and the pleasure that is in it. There's nothing wrong with that if we don't make a God out of it. You know, why would God put 15 million taste buds on your tongue if he didn't intend for you to be able to, to enjoy the delectable things that he's made in creation with all these different tastes? My problem is I think he gave me twice the amount of taste buds. How many hear what I'm saying this morning? Now, as wonderful as any of those things are, nothing is instant about that. It took time to prepare it. 
Anything worthwhile in your life, you're going to build a good marriage. You can't do it in 30 days. There are not five steps to building a great business. There's not seven steps to building children into champions. It's going to take time, and it's messy. You put a seed in the ground. It's nasty. It's dirty. There's some manure. There's fertilizer involved. You're going to get junk under your fingernails. It's work. Somebody said one time, it was a famous Thomas Edison quote. He said, you know what? Most people miss opportunity because when it knocks on the door, it looks, it's dressed in overalls and looks like work. There's going to be work involved because God's put a seed in your life and you need to plant that seed. You need to work that ground and you need to invest. You need to give your life into these things of the kingdom of God. Somebody say amen. It's going to take patience. Listen to me. You can become a mushroom in 24 hours or it'll take 75 years to be a great mature oak. And generations will come and sit under your life and your legacy. It's going to take time to do anything in the kingdom of God that's worthwhile. You're going to build a great business that can bless multitudes of families. You have to trust God and work hard and never quit. Come on, somebody. Are you hearing me this morning? Put your hands together and give the Lord praise. The kingdom of God is never static but dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. One last point. I've given you seven this morning. Can you believe it? Number seven, there is a season for harvest and work is required. The last portion of the scripture said it this way. As soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. There's a season. There's a season for everything. You can't plant last week and expect a crop this week. You reap in the season following the planting. There's a planting. There's a, there's a cultivation time. There's a planting season. There's a harvest, there's a growing season, there's a harvest season. And the point is in your life, you want to keep planting seeds all the time. You don't want to live a stingy, tight-fisted existence. You want to live an open-handed, generous life of giving to the things of the kingdom of God. Because when we're open-handed, God is free to pour His blessings into our hands and let them run through and bless other people. He, he, it's amazing how he will let you have enough of it hang around that it can be a great blessing to you and your family and your children, your children's children, to those who will be your legacy in the years to come. There's a personal application to this. Anything that you're doing is going to require hard work. Too many times folk want to pray and have God zip open the heavens and just drop you an instant miracle into your life when all along there's seeds sitting all around you that he's just saying, if you'll just get up and plant this seed of forgiveness, your marriage will start to get into a better place. If you'll get up and begin to plant some seeds of encouragement, it's amazing, honey, what your husband will all of a sudden begin to do for you because he feels respected and he feels appreciated. Begin to serve and love your wife and begin to pour into her and invest into her and look at the smile on her face and realize that you can take some credit for putting that smile there. You're making an investment because it takes work. You have to work hard to build a great marriage. You have to work hard to build children who will do right and walk right and live right and love you and love God and advance the kingdom of God as champions in the world. It takes work. It's dressed in overalls and it looks like work. It's not a matter of just, God, let me just say three quick little confessions and pray and you give me a miracle. Yes, God does do miracles, but most of the time He puts all the seeds around you for you to put into the ground of your life and the soil of your soul 
so that you can begin to see the blessing and the success and the reproduction, the produce of the blessing of God in your life. The seed is all around you. It's all around you. It's not just money. It's not just a matter of sowing a seed or blessing somebody this way or the other, but you know what? You need to do that. And when, when I don't have, when my money gets tight, I go to my closet and just say, okay, I'm going to bless somebody. I'm gonna, these are good clothes. They're not out of style. I, I'm going to take them down to 8th Street Mission where somebody can, they can put a dollar on it and somebody can, can have a polo shirt that costs me $99 and they can get it for a dollar or two dollars. I'm going to give. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give. And I immediately, I recognize when, when things start to tighten up, I'll just go, okay, God, I'm looking for ways that I can be more generous. When I'm, when I'm not feeling loved, I start saying, God, I'm going to go out of my way to show somebody who feels unloved the love of God. For a man to have friends, he must show himself friendly. You want to have friends? Then be one. Start being friendly to some other people. Don't just hang with your crew and your group and your clique. But on Sunday morning here, reach out to the person that looks like they're a little uncomfortable not really knowing what everybody is or where everybody is or how we do things here. Go and speak to them. Go and encourage them. Go and make them feel welcome. That's part of our whole culture here at Victory Church. Somebody say amen. There's not only a personal application for the season of the harvest and work is required. I believe there's an ultimate application here. Jesus Christ is the farmer. The seed is the seed of the gospel of the kingdom. At the end of the age, as the kingdom has continued to grow and the crops continue to flourish, the farmer is coming back and he's going to thrust in the sickle and he's going to reap the whole wheat crop. He's going to separate the wheat from the tares. This morning I would ask you, have you received that seed of the kingdom in your heart? Because it'll transform everything about your life. It's not instant. It takes time. It takes patience. It takes work. It takes honoring God first. It takes prioritizing the things of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is never static, but it's dynamic. The seed will affect everything around it. This morning, you're sitting here in this service, and maybe you've never crossed the line of faith and asked Jesus Christ to come into your heart and be the Lord of your life. That's what we're, we're talking about when we talk about the kingdom of God. 1 Corinthians 12 says, No man can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Ghost. Holy Spirit in your life brings the seed of God, the kingdom, into you. And by that, because of His presence, we can say, Jesus is Lord of my life. Everybody wants a Savior. Everybody wants a priest to make peace between us and God. And that's what Jesus did. Yes, but He's not just priest. He's also King. He's not just Christ Messiah, but He's also Lord. He's the boss. And the sooner I can... Not just say, God, here, take a piece of my life, but I can say, God, take my whole life. Take me, Lord. Make me what you want me to be. Not my will, but yours be done. And I can, re I can literally lay down my life before him. In that moment, you've just given Jesus the ability to bless you in ways you could never dream of. You know what? It's not just about a home in heaven or escaping the fire of hell. I believe those two things are very real. But it's also about walking with Him and knowing Him and knowing God, which is, which is really what in your heart of hearts you desire. There's something in every one of us that reaches out for something that is bigger than us. Something in every one of us that can't be satisfied until His presence fills us and we've been touched by that. 
So today in this moment, before you leave this place, that can happen for you. Heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass anybody, but I'm going to ask you as the lights come down, no one's looking around right now. If anything in this message spoke to you or impacted your life, and you just would say, I, I just want some encouragement, Pastor, would you pray for me? Or if you've never crossed the line of faith and said, Jesus, be Lord of my life, that's an opportunity you have right now. Scripture says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Saved from something and saved to something. God has a purpose for your life. Heads bowed, eyes closed, nobody looking around. If that's you and you would say, Pastor, please pray for me. Slip your hand up. I want to pray for you this morning. One in the far back back there. I see you on the wall. Anyone else? Yes, over here on this side. I see you. Thank you for your hand. Anyone else? There's at least two there. Yes. All right, those of you who lifted your hands, I would like for you to pray these words out loud. And you know what? I'm asking the whole congregation to join in. We're all going to say this together. So you don't have to feel like you're conspicuous praying out loud and nobody else around you is. I'm asking everybody in the room to pray these words. You pray it from your heart in faith, those of you who lifted your hands. We're standing in agreement with you as God does a work and the seed of God comes into your life. Let's lift this up this morning. Everyone pray with me. Father, thank you for this word. I receive this seed. Thank you that life is in it to transform my life. I turn from my past. I turn to you in faith. I ask you to come into my heart. Jesus, save me. I trust you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Forgive my sins. Be Lord of my life. Do this work, O oh God, from the inside out. In Jesus' name I pray. And all of God's people said, put your hands together and give the Lord praise.